Welcome to Unlocking the Truth, a podcast where we discover God's truth for ourselves. Do you want to know how to better study God's Word? Then participate in one of our free online workshops or join one of our online Bible studies. There are tons of times and options to choose from. Head to our website to register now at www.preceptministries.ca. On our website, you can also get connected to our social media pages and join our email list to stay updated on the many things God is doing through Preset Ministries. We want to hear from you. If you have been impacted by these podcasts or another area of Preset Ministries Canada, then we want to know. Email us your testimonies to info at preceptministries.ca. We can't wait to hear about how God is working in your life. Now, stay tuned for Unlocking the Truth, a study in the book of 1 Thessalonians. Hello, everyone. It's Mark Sheldrake here, another episode of Unlocking the Truth podcast. So glad that you could be with us. This is episode 7, 1 Thessalonians. We have come to the end of the letter. Just before we dig into the text, just a couple of reminders for you. Hold Fast Conference registration is now open. Kay and David Arthur teaching us from 1 Peter, November 6th and 7th. You can register online for that. The whole conference is online. The beauty of it is you can do it from your own home. How exciting, uh, hopefully, group numbers for this COVID-19 pandemic have changed and you'll be able to even watch it in groups. So make sure you get your ticket for the conference and get ready to participate in a great weekend in God's Word. Also check out the website for more information on that or training or Bible study classes coming this fall. This fall I'll be leading online Thursday mornings 10 a.m., 2 Thessalonians. Hopefully you can join in and participate in that. All the information regarding what Precept is up to is at preceptministries.ca or join our mailing list. Get that information into your inbox and uh, participate in what's going on in the ministry. Uh, Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for the time that you've given us, the opportunity to study your word, to look at the truths to be transformed by the truths, to be engaged in relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I cannot believe that we're at the end already. I love this letter. I don't know about you. I have taught uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I feel like it's been 8 million times. Uh, I've taught it in a number of workshops all across Canada, but the rest of this book, whew, how good is it? I, I took the First um, Thessalonians New Inductive Study Series course a number of years ago and uh, even remember uh, much of what was in the book, but now digging deeper and preparing for the podcast as well as the online classes and our staff study has been phenomenal. Just encouraged. Hope you've been encouraged as well uh, going through this before Um, we kind of dig into the text here. I want to make sure that you guys are set up for the fall. Make sure that you 
have something to dig into heading into the fall season uh, in a class. Classes online you can check out, and uh, maybe there's something going on near you. If not, email us and we'll let you know. So uh, let's look at uh, these verses, okay? So here's the challenge. Uh, the challenge this week is becomes a very personal uh, challenge for me in the uh, discussion of the first couple of verses. Uh, I was just thinking the other night, what would it be like to uh, celebrate 25 years of ministry? 25 years. I can't wait to celebrate 25 years of ministry. So I pulled out my phone and I'm kind of trying to determine, you know, um, by the calculator when I started and what year it is here. I was thinking to myself, okay, I'm like Nehemiah. I was consulting with myself. And I thought to myself, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get myself a balloon. I'll I'll put it in my car. Nobody else will be around. And I'm going to go to the sweet bakery that we have in Brantford where they sell the most delicious pecan square. And I'm going to buy that square. I'm going to hang the balloon in my car. I'm going to have this pecan square. I'm going to celebrate 25 years of ministry. How cool, right? Oh, man, I can't wait for that. So I put the numbers in the calculator. Well, I started serving in the church as a staff member and at, with uh, Emmanuel Baptist Church in Brantford in 1993. So then I'm like, okay, 1993, let me calculate that. For, for those of you, yes, uh, I, I was 18 years old when I, when I started as a youth pastor. And uh, 2020, folks, 27 years I missed my 25-year anniversary by two years. Anyway, so in another three years, we'll head over to Sweet Bakery, and we'll get that pecan pie in the balloon, and we'll celebrate 30 years. The reason that these verses become so challenging, even for me as I walk through, is because they speak to the heart of some of the relationships that I've had in church over the last 20-something years. It's been since 2007 that I've been serving at Precept and not in the church full-time as a, as a pastor. But the, the verses that Paul is going to bring out today, uh, they are verses that apply to uh, how we look at leadership. Not only that, there are some other challenges, but what I wanted to start with is I wanted to start with uh, just the, the continued reminder of the tone of this letter. The, the understanding of this letter that it is a commendation. It is a you're running well type of letter. So I want to look at these commendations that come in here. Chapter 1, verse 2. Uh, we give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers. Uh, verse 3, another commendation. Constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God. Uh, verse 6, he says, You became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Verse 8, The word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say 
anything. Verse 9, they themselves report to us what kind of reception you had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. Verse 10, that you wait for his son from heaven whom he rescued from the dead. That is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. In chapter 2, verse 13, we constantly thank God that when you receive the word uh, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you when you believe. Uh, verse 17, and what verse 17 says, but we brethren have been taken away from you for a short while in person, not in spirit. We're all the more eager with great desire to see your face. Uh, verse 19, for it is our hope, or for it is who is our hope, or joy, or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? For you, verse 20, are our glory and our joy. Chapter 3, verse 6, but now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you. Verse 8, for, we now, for now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. Verse 9, for what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all joy which we rejoice before our God on your account. What we've got here is all the way through verse chapters 1 to 3, it's commendation, exhortation, encouragement, all the way through. We thank God, we thank God, we thank God for you. And so in verse chapter 4, he the challenge is that you are running well, church. You are doing so well, church, but excel still more. Continue to be sanctified by the truth of God's word. Continue to be growing in God's word. It's the will of God for you to abstain from sexual immorality. Move away from those things that control you. It is the will of God for you to love the brethren. Excel still more in the way that you love the brethren. And so he keeps laying out all of these encouragements all the way through. And then in chapter 5, verse 12, he talks up, there's this but. And this but that comes here indicates one of the issues that Paul wants to address. Now, the issue that Paul wants to address here is not such a big issue that it is rendering problems with the church's spiritual growth and their faith. But this is something that has come to light for Paul that he wants to address as he calls the church to excel still more. He wants them to pay closer attention to this, these things, because these are the things that are going to help them be ready for the coming of Jesus Christ. So here we go with the but in verse 12. It says, but we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give instruction and that you esteem them very highly in love because of the work, uh, because of their work, live in peace with one another. So uh, the first part that we want to look at is um, the challenge of how we treat the shepherd. And so we want to look at what Paul is uh, bringing out here 
in how the congregation treats the shepherd. You're probably thinking to yourself right now, I wonder how I treat my shepherd. Okay, so what we're looking at is how we appreciate and esteem our pastor. Uh, There's great challenge in these verses, great uh, points of understanding. Uh, In the number of years that I've served at Precept, you would not believe the number of times that I have heard of Precept leaders who have gone to their pastors and uh, corrected them in their sermons, not out of love or in discussion, but out of sheer pride of knowing that they knew what the text said. There is no greater um, discomfort for the shepherd that when somebody comes in that manner and doesn't want to have an easy conversation but a difficult, you know, I know this, you don't type of mentality. So here, here, let's look at these words. Let's, let's break down the words appreciate for a minute. The word appreciate uh, is uh, edo. It means to um, understand and to acknowledge position. It's to show honor and respect for the role that they have. Uh, we're also called to esteem them uh, and to um, esteem their work. So first and foremost, this is to really know and understand uh, that role. So let's take a look at that role of pastor for a minute. All right, so uh, the first is that Paul says that they diligently uh, work. And so the, the idea of diligently working here is that they would do this until uh, exhaustion. That they would come alongside and that they would serve till exhaustion. So I, I went back and I tried to evaluate, even looking at my role here at Precept, which is uh, one of leader, but just thinking through what was the average number of hours that I would serve as a pastor in a church on a regular basis. Well, I used to keep a log. You know, I used to, back in the day, would keep a calendar and, you know, write your hours in it back before iPhones. And on average, 65 to 70 hours a week. That's 30 hours at some points higher than the average worker would do and pastors would get tired and exhausted. Do you know one of the trends we're seeing uh, right now in churches is the, is the number of issues with mental health and pastors in churches. I can't put my finger on it to be able to say what is the reason behind that, 
I'm, I'm no longer serving in the church. I've had some discussions with some guys about uh, some of the reasons that they become so beaten down that they have a desire to leave the church. I heard at one point that there was a, um, a statistic going around that uh, there in in the United States, there's more than uh, 1,500 pastors a month who are leaving the church. What the reason behind that, I'm not sure. But I know from my own historical life as a pastor that the role and the position was not held in high esteem by some of the people in the church. That some of the people in the church wanted to use people like me for their own personal gain. Here in the problem of this church, this is the most interesting thing as I, I was reading and studying about this this week. We have to go and we have to look at how these churches were set up. And I think about in other countries, in countries like Africa, which would be very similar, that if somebody showed that they had the gift of teaching in, in a small area in Africa, that this person who was on the same level as everybody else, but they had that gift of teaching, would be elevated into the role of pastor. Uh, our South African national director has a massive ministry with training people to learn the inductive Bible study method to become better communicators and pastors and teachers of the word. When, when Paul was in Crete and he preached the gospel, he left Titus behind to set in order what remained, which was elders and uh, deacons. And so Titus was left to put the entire church structure together from the people that were in the church, from, from the believers that were, were there together. So it's only fair to say that it would be very similar for the church in Thessalonica, that Paul would have to draw on the people from the church that were the new converts and to find that structure and put that structure in place and elevate them to the position of leadership which would have caused some, some struggle and some concern among the people within that church as to why those people were raised up and others weren't. And so we all know that according to Romans chapter 12, verses 6 to 8, that the, the body of Christ is given different spiritual gifts. And so he's gifted some to be leaders, some to be teachers, and others to not be. The book of Acts also shows us that the apostles were set aside for teaching and they wanted to focus on teaching. And as they taught, they neglected the widows and the orphans and therefore had to find people who could focus on serving and be able to, to take care of those needs. Essentially, if you want to learn more about spiritual gifts, you want to get the 40-minute Bible study called Understanding Spiritual Gifts. But there's two main gifts. One is speaking, one is serving. The, the, what we're looking at here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is we're referring to those leaders who have the gift 
of speaking. And so these people were elevated up, and here's the job that they were given. These three things that they were to do. First, one, they worked among them diligently until exhaustion. The reality is what we need to understand, you and I, as people who are congregation members in the church, our pastors are working till exhaustion. They are so overloaded with the amount of things that they are trying to accomplish. It's in our best interest as people who have spiritual gifts to employ those spiritual gifts to serve within the church, to be able to remove some of those burdens from the pastor and be able to kind of build this church together. But when we appreciate and understand and we respect the position that they are in, we're less critical of them when they go about doing the work that they do. The work that they do is not an easy work. It is a very difficult work. I think that's one of the reasons that we have issues in mental health with pastors. We have struggles with pastors. Just in the last few months, I've heard of pastors who have committed suicide. The role is a very hard job. The role of shepherd is so difficult because you are responsible for the sheep. So they work diligently. They work till they're tired. They work hours upon hours. The reason they work is to guide. This is the second part of this. And the, the reason they do this is they want to guide you to righteousness. They want to point out from the scriptures what it takes to be righteous before God. The point for them is that they would lead the sheep to the feet of Jesus Christ. And so the whole point is your sanctification. Here's why we're teaching you. We want you to be in the word of God. We want you to be transformed by the word of God. We want you to abstain from sexual immorality. We want you to abstain from sin. We don't want you to have sin in your life no more. Jesus is coming back. Are you going to be ready for the return of Jesus Christ? And this is the pressure that the pastor faces when he preaches out and he looks and he, we'll talk about this in a minute, but when he preaches out to the people and he sees empty looks in their eyes and he doesn't he's not sure if they're comprehending the truth of the gospel and they're not seeing change in the life of a believer you wonder what's going on this past couple weekends ago i had the opportunity to speak in a church to speak in the church in the midst of covid-19 was one of the most difficult sermons I've ever had to speak. Not because of what was in the scripture. Because the congregation was all behind masks. You couldn't see their faces. All you could see was their eyes. You couldn't see whether they had any facial expressions of whether they were receiving the truth of the word that the Holy Spirit was working within them. And then here's the thing. You stand at the back of the church and you're standing in the parking lot and you're not sure. You're not standing in the back of the parking lot to hear good sermon. You're, you're hoping, you're hoping and praying that somebody will come alongside and say, you know what? There's something in my life that needs to change because of what was said in the, in the message today that I'm going to go home and be transformed. Those are the things that the pastors want to hear. Thank you for a great sermon. That was one of the most difficult things that I had ever received. 
I know the intent behind it is to show appreciation for the work. But on that Sunday, there was a lady who came up to me after church. And I was preaching 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 to 10. And the question I asked was, is your life worthy of imitation? Well, she came and she said to, to me and a number of other people after, I'm not sure. You've made me think. Am I worthy of following? My response was, well, what, what will you do this week to evaluate whether you are worthy to be followed? So the challenge was here is that to appreciate and respect. So the fact of the matter is that when Paul built this church, he put people right from that church who would not have been more spiritually mature, would not have been more, uh, say, developed. They would not have gotten their masters of divinity. They would not have gone to Bible college, but Paul elevated to that to the position, and it seemed to have brought about some discussion and some, some inner turmoil of why is that person leading over this person? And so uh, Paul, he's, he's saying, you need to appreciate these people who are in this place. They have been appointed as your leaders. They have been appointed as the ones who are going to help you walk through the process of sanctification toward righteousness before God. These are the people who are going to teach you the word of God each and every week. These are the roles of the pastor. Appointed. Appointed to lead and to work diligently among you for the purpose of bringing people to righteousness, to teach and instruct in the word of God. And so we need to look at that and we need to understand that. That this is a massive role, a massive undertaking. The Bible makes it very clear that those who preach and teach the word of God, when they teach it in a way that is not according to what the text says, that they will face an even greater judgment. You know what? It's a massive undertaking to teach the truth of God's word. So he calls this church to appreciate to understand these people. It goes on. He says uh, in verse 14, we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with everyone. Uh, verse 14 is a call to the congregation to, to partner, and I, I see this as a partnership with the pastor. The partnership with the pastor is the pastor is to lead and instruct and to be over and to teach them to the word of God. Our job is to come alongside and to admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, and help the weak. So, so let's quickly look at uh, the word admonish here. It means to warn and to exhort. It's to come alongside and warn them of the dangerous consequences of their behavior. Uh, the unruly, uh, that word in the Greek, uh, can also be described as idle, which is out of order, lazy, or neglect of duty. 
Each and every one of us has a gift that we are to employ. We are to be working in the church and serving in the church, participating in the church. And it's our job to bring people alongside, to challenge them in their behavior, in their laziness, uh, to, to get the fire going within them like we talked about in last week's podcast. We are to encourage the faint-hearted, the people who are, are falling away, the people who are discouraged, the people who, who need to be lifted up. This literally means uh, timid. All right, so we're to address them we're to incentivize them, to calm them, to console them, to propel them to action. Now, the faint-hearted in this case, this could be people who, who started running well within the church, who were doing super great, but because of the suffering and the persecution that they were facing, that they became faint-hearted, intimidated, intimidated and they didn't want... To, to put themselves forward for the fear of what they might face. So how do you challenge a faint-hearted person? Well, first of all, you get their eyes to be focused again on the things above. Uh, I think about Paul when he, we challenged Timothy in 2 Timothy, join me in suffering for the gospel. Uh, come on, this... This, you know, temporary suffering and persecution is for the eternal weight of glory. Let's push forward. Let's get the gospel going to the people. Let's let, not let this church run stagnant, but let's propel this church forward. The most uh, interesting thing that I find is this is a number of people in the church are the faint-hearted. There are unruly people in the church. You have to get and capture and correct and admonish those unruly people because those it can only take one or two unruly people to upset the entire church. They can turn the entire church upside down with their behavior. But you can easily point out those who are unruly. They're, per they're out there. They're causing problems. They're causing difficulties. It's the people who are faint-hearted that are very difficult to see because on the outside, everything looks normal, but on the inside, they're breaking down, they're discouraged, and they're not running well. We need to come alongside those people, encourage them, bring them along, grab them, propel them forward in the race. Those are the people that you should be inviting to your Bible study. Those are the people you should be sending a podcast or sermons to or encouraging them to, to re-engage in relationship with God through his word. And then he says, help the weak. These are the people who need to continue to grow. These are the people that you've, you've got to come alongside and you've, you've got to build them up in the scriptures. You've got to get them strong. You've got to get them working out and building those muscles of the mind and reasoning the text and applying the text and growing in the scriptures so that they will be able to fulfill their calling and use their gifts to propel the church forward. 
I can't remember the exact statistic, and I didn't look it up, but I think it's the 80-20. 20% of the people do 80 you know, 80% of the work or whatever it is. The, the statistic is that a small number of people in the church actually do the work of the church. Do you know what happens when that, when that occurs? Do you know what happens when the entire body doesn't propel or push their gifts forward in the use of the church? The church begins to limp. The people who were running well become faint-hearted, exhausted, and burned out mentally, struggling to continue because they're doing it all. Imagine a church that was working so well together that everybody was employing their gifts, that the unruly were being dealt with. Here's the deal, folks. There will always be unruly people in the church. There will always be people that are unhappy there will always be people that are overly critical. The important part is to address that head on and challenge those that are doing that. Grab the faint-hearted, disciple the weak, and be patient with everyone. This is the challenge for me this week. Be, be patient with everyone. You know, I'm a, I'm a results guy. I like, I like to see things happen. I'm not a big fan of waiting around for stuff. I, uh, I love that grocery pickup thing because I don't have to go through the store and wait in line, but somebody just brings it out to my car. All, all of it's done for me. So the idea of being patient with everyone, you see, the, the most difficult time that I have, the most difficult people that I struggle with are the faint-hearted and the weak. The ones that I literally should have the most compassion and patience for are the faint-hearted and the weak because I so want them to grasp the scripture. I want them to be so fired up for Jesus. I want them to be out there, you know, having their life transformed by the truth of the gospel. I want them to be propelling towards uh, righteousness in God. I want them to be sanctified in the truth. I want them to see, I want to see them take sin that's in their life and completely get rid of it and walk in a manner worthy of God. I want to see that happen. That is the heart of a shepherd. They want to see their people transformed. They want to see amazing moments of where the Holy Spirit brings change. They want to see the Holy Spirit bring change of, you know, in thought and in action. And yet there are times where you're like, how are these individuals they not being able to grab this and be changed and they're still, they're not moving forward. I want to see just little bits of moving forward and I forget that these things happen in the timing of God and not in my own. And the challenge for me is to be patient with these people, to walk alongside them and to encourage them and keep building them up and, and be okay when you teach the word of God to them, 
that it might take not one hour, not two hours, but it might take two weeks for that to really sink in and have them understand that this is what God is calling them to. I can't imagine the inner turmoil of putting sins to death that you so love to do in the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. My comment that I've made in the past is I don't have time for apathy. The Bible's telling me that I need to be patient with people. But I don't think it's to be tolerant of their behavior. I think we still need to be challenging them to grow, 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 change, change, change. Not let them sit in it in their sin and in their in their lifestyle, but continually be transformed and be changed. Verse 15 says, See that no one repays another with evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Uh, just be at peace with one another. We all have one mission. One mission, and that is to populate heaven and plunder hell. Let's get on board with that together. Work with each other. Be at peace with one another. As he wraps out this letter and we wrap out this podcast, he says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Jesus Christ. What? Another will of God moment. The will of God is sanctification and the will of God for you is thankfulness. The will of God for you is to be rejoicing always and be thankful. You ever have struggle with being thankful? Do you ever have difficult days when you don't feel like you want to be so thankful for what's going on? Let me give you one thing that will help you to be thankful each and every day of your life. You ready? Here it is. You want to write it down? You breathe today because of Jesus Christ. Do you need anything else to be thankful for? To have this attitude of thankfulness and rejoicing? You breathe today because Jesus rescued you from the wrath to come. I don't know what else would be a motivator for thankfulness. The fact that God loved you so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be the payment for your sin, to wipe away your debt, and to give you the title of child of God. That you live in the world, but you're no longer of the world. You're an alien. This is not your home. This is temporary. One day you will be rescued, and you will be with Jesus Christ. Now, if I woke up every morning, and I were reminded myself of that, 
wouldn't be a whole lot of opportunity for me to be super critical, would it? Be a constant reminder of that Jesus loves me. Jesus receives me. And I will be with him. The idea here of praying, pray without ceasing, is not that you never stop praying, is that, but it is that you are diligent in your prayer life. You want to continue to remain thankful and rejoicing. How's your prayer life? Your prayer life is your conversation with God. A lot of times we use prayer in, the time, in times of need, when we're in the most difficult times of our lives or when we have a list of things that we need to pray for. Have you stopped and just prayed through the character of God? Diligently put before you to thank God for all that he has done? Pray without ceasing. Be diligent in your prayer life. Make it a regular habit to be in prayer. Verse 19, he says, Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise the prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully and hold fast to that which is good and abstain from every form of evil. The whole idea here behind quenching the Spirit is that sin will quench the Spirit. And so the challenge for us is to abstain from every form of evil, to get rid of it, to remove it, to not have it any part of our life. Uh, verse 20 says, Do not despise the prophetic utterances. This is not about you know, a certain prophet bringing something about, but this is to be able to not despise what the word of God says. This directly points to the scriptures. So don't quench the spirit with your sin. Don't despise the truth of God's word, but examine everything carefully and hold fast to that which is good. All right, so there's a twofold to this, I think. Okay, so some of you might say, well, how do I appreciate and honor and stand by my pastor when he doesn't speak truth? Okay, well, we still need to esteem the pastor and the role that he's in. That's a number one. The second thing is that when the word of God is taught to us, that we should be able to evaluate what has been taught and listen for truth and what might not be true. But you notice the purpose of all of this is to be able to kind of walk alongside and listen to what is true and what's not true. This is why the word of God, and, and I love precept. I love precept not for the fact that we can get arrogant and become so knowledgeable we want to correct when we hear things that are not right, but we want to be able to apply the truth to our own lives, that we want to take these truths, this plumb line of God's word, and line up the things that are in our life, the things that 
we might still be pursuing in sin and abstain from them. So there's a twofold here. One, I think it's very important that you always line up what you're being taught to the word of God. I remember Kay Arthur saying, every time I teach, I want you to line it back up to the plumb line of God. And if there's something in there that is not aligning for you from the truth of scripture with what I'm saying, let me know. So there's a point of be careful and listen to what is being taught to you. If there are things that are of untruth that are being taught to you, then you need to red flag those and be very aware of them and go back to the scriptures and see what the scriptures say. That's one point. The second point is don't quench the spirit with your sin. Don't despise the word of God. Abstain from evil. Get sin out of your life. Here's why. Verse 23, the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. May your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, the whole purpose of this book, people, the whole understanding of this truth is that we would be ready for the return of Jesus Christ. Don't quench the spirit with your sin. Don't despise the commandments of God. The commandments of God that are going to get you prepared for the return of Jesus Christ. Abstain from every evil and sin. It's interesting how this all aligns with how we treat others, how we treat our shepherd, how we walk alongside people, how our mindset is to rejoice and be thankful and be in prayer. That we are ready for the return of Jesus Christ. That we would be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus. It's Paul's mission. Go to Colossians chapter 1. It talks about his mission to make, be made complete to make man complete in Jesus Christ. Verse 24 says, For he who calls you, he will also bring... Uh, faithful is he who calls you, he will bring it to pass. I've got a note in the bottom of, the, of my Bible. What God has started, he will finish. So, this is the work that God will do. What he has started in us, he will finish and he will make us complete. We can stand on the truth of God's word that all of the work that we are doing, the battle between flesh and spirit, the desires of our flesh to overtake us and follow after the sins of this world, to follow after all of the evils but our mind and our heart's desire to pursue Jesus, to be made complete, the promise is that he will return. and He will make us complete. This is the prize that we look for. This is the, the focus that we have. 
set your mind on the things that are above and keep your eyes on Jesus. Grab the faint-hearted and the weak, admonish the unruly, pursue the kingdom of God. This is my greatest desire, my greatest hope for individuals is that they too would be able to benefit from things like this podcast or the Bible studies that Precept has for the sole purpose of being ready for the return of Jesus Christ. 27 years ago, I sat at home and I thought to myself, I cannot wait to become an NHL hockey player. Everything in my life was about pursuing hockey. Scholarships to the United States, playing on teams and traveling every weekend. I played on teams where the kids were uh, a couple of years older than me. But the desire was go and serve in that way. Be a person who's going to make an impact in the world through hockey. You're going to get rich. You're going to, you know, be a superstar. I mean, every Canadian kid has that dream. One evening, I sat, and I was at home, and I clearly heard God speak to me and challenge me in my relationship with him to grow and know him better. And I attended youth group and had a great youth pastor who was encouraging me and challenging me. And I heard God speak to me in the same way that he spoke to Peter. And the challenge was that I will serve him. I will teach for him. And I will write for him. And I thought to myself, those are three very interesting uh, things that God was telling me. Serve him, teach for him, and write for him. From the age of 18, when I committed to serving God with my whole life, the desire that I have had from the very beginning is to one, pursue Jesus all out. The second is to teach the word of God, to engage people in the word of God so that they will grow and be ready for the return of Jesus Christ. To let no sheep run astray. It's the desire of my heart. Now, there are many pastors who have that same desire and that same heart. And they will work and they will toil and they will go on through that day in and day out for the purpose of sanctification for himself and for his church. When I think about Paul and I think about what we're learning about him in 1 Thessalonians, that his mission was populate heaven and plunder hell. That he left a prison 
in Philippi and immediately went to Thessalonica to preach the gospel. That as he preached the gospel, lives were transformed by the truth of the gospel. The scripture tells us that they turned from idols to serve a living and true God. That an angry mob came and decided that they wanted to destroy and kill Paul and Silvanus because their teachings were upsetting the entire world. That they had to immediately be removed from Thessalonica, that they had not had a chance to return, but their desire, their passion, their love was to see them face to face again for the sole purpose of making these people whole and complete in Jesus Christ and have them ready for their return. Are you ready? Are you prepared? Are you one of the unruly ones? Are you one who is faint-hearted? Are you weak? Maybe you're tuning into this because you're hoping that in some way this will, will spark a fire within you to create a greater hunger for you to engage in the truth of God's word. That will propel you to that position where you can confidently say, if Jesus returns tomorrow, I'm ready. This is the heart's desire of a shepherd. Shepherds don't want to deal with the unruly. They don't want unruly, but they have to deal with them. They want to pull along the faint-hearted. They want to encourage and disciple the weak for the sole purpose for preparation for the return of Jesus. So I pray that you evaluate your heart, that you look deep within to your soul and you ask the Lord to show you, who am I? What is my role within the church? How do I interact with my leaders? Am I ready? Am I prepared if Jesus were to return tomorrow? Examine, search, abstain. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the promises that you have given us in your word. We thank you for this letter. We thank you for the challenge that comes through these scriptures to be people who are in hot pursuit of you. People that are so passionate for you and your word that we will be ready for your return. But Father, as we pursue you and, and grow in you, help us to be uh, understanding and paying close attention to those that are around us. Help us to be people who admonish the unruly, that walk alongside the faint-hearted, that help the weak grow to become strong. Father, I pray that churches would be 
examples like this First Thessalonians church. That there's more commendation for what they're doing well than what they're doing wrong. Father, help us to be that church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Preset Ministries, head to our website at www.presetministries.ca.